All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. You know what I did at Facebook? You know how you go browse the internet or you even buy things in stores and then you see products like that inside Facebook? I built that. That's actually what I built. It's Note to Self, the tech show about being human. I'm Anoush Zamarodi. That was Antonio Garcia Martinez. Antonio is a former Goldman Sachs strategist turned tech entrepreneur turned Facebook ads guy. In fact, Antonio helped design and build how Facebook delivers ads to us, something we've talked and felt a little uncomfortable about very recently here. We never stopped to think whether this was moral or not. The only thing we stopped to think about is whether we could get it past privacy law and past the users. But there's something I love about Antonio. When he left his job as a product manager at Facebook, he went and wrote a tell-all. His book is called Chaos Monkeys, Obscene Fortune and Random Failure in Silicon Valley. It is educational and hilarious. The book came out last summer, but I actually wanted to wait to talk to Antonio because I wanted to see how Silicon Valley would react. Would Antonio get blacklisted? Was this book the end of his career as a techie? Or maybe just the beginning of life as a lone truthsayer on how the tech economic industrial complex all works? Yeah, neither of those quite happened. But it does turn out it takes a lot to get the cold shoulder in Silicon Valley, especially when your book is a bestseller. You know, I was at Facebook for a good couple of years, right around the time of the IPO. And because, frankly, the company was desperate for revenue at the time, they were willing to put up with my obnoxious behavior. But as soon as the political wind shifted, I was no longer useful to them. And so I was fired. And so literally, I got escorted out the door, despite the fact that the product I had built was actually very successful. And what was going through your mind as you were escorted out of Facebook headquarters? Um, <laughs> I'd never been fired before, actually. I guess it was novel. You know, I was, I guess, to some degree senior enough in Facebook to understand that this is exactly how it worked. I guess I was more pissed off at my boss, who I might as well name by name because he's in the book, Gokul, who, you know, hired me and in many ways is a very gifted executive, actually. He gave me no warning, kind of struck me along as long as he needed me. And then he just scheduled a meeting. In fact, it was our one-on-one. It was the weekly management meeting in which I just expected to discuss with him what we're doing that week. And instead, he had an HR person there. Mm. And, you know, it was like – it kind of felt like an execution. And he didn't even have the balls to actually look at me in the face and say, OK, that's it, Antonio. Like, this is what – like, he just ran out the room the moment I walked in the room and wasn't willing to confront me. And then literally an hour later messages me while I'm sitting in the car parked at Facebook saying, so, Antonio, are you going and doing something else? Because he's a, he's a big angel investor. And so he was asking if I was doing another company because I was obviously very entrepreneurially minded. I'd come as an entrepreneur. And so he literally a moment after executing me asked me, so by the way, what are you doing? And like, hey, are you looking for investors? And then in that exchange, I kind of joke and say, well, Gokul, you don't mind if I borrow a couple of engineers to do it, right? And it was kind of a joke. And then two days later, I actually got legal hate mail from a Facebook legal reminding me and citing the conversation with Gokul. 
So just to give you an idea of exactly how much morality there is on offer here in Silicon Valley, this is how it works. So did you know that you were going to write a book or what was the goal? It's almost like I was embedded in deep cover like Hunter S. Thompson. Mm. I did sort of take some steps to take notes and document it as it happened. So, yeah, there was a little bit of intent there. But from what I understand, non-disclosure agreements are pretty much the standard for when you become an employee at any of these tech companies, right? Here's the reality around confidentiality. It can only include things that have not been made public. And by public, I don't mean on a billboard or on a website. I mean simply known by someone outside of the sort of corporate shell of trust. Oh. And so, you know, a lot of the details around how Facebook does business may not be well known. But if it's known to even spammers who are trying to hack Facebook, if it's known to partners that work with Facebook, that's all considered public. One thing they did try to get me to sign was a non-disparagement clause. It basically means you can't publicly disparage, as defined by them, the company upon leaving. And they actually offered me 30 or 40K to sign this thing. By the end of Facebook, I knew I would be writing a book. I'm like, hmm, is the advance on the book going to be greater or less than this? I think it's going to be greater. And so I refused to sign the form. I mean, it's definitely the case that there's this sort of code of silence inside Silicon Valley. And in general, if you want to stay inside that world and play that game, then you sort of can't write a very frank account of what it's like being in a meeting with Sheryl Sandberg, for example. If you want to ask, like, what's the real reason why I got away with writing this and, like, I didn't get either sued or assassinated by Facebook, the book actually isn't that negative about Facebook. In fact, I explicitly call Mark Zuckerberg a genius, well, you know, not sarcastically, in the book. You and also so call him, like, a know, cult leader as well. Well, yeah, and that's actually true. And I think most Facebook employees, frankly, would, would actually cop to that. Maybe your follow-up question is, well, what do the Facebook people think of your book? At least the ones that I've spoken to, you know, the, the reaction has universally been, well, look, Antonio, maybe we disagree on the interpretation of a few events and decisions here and there. But by and large, you got it right. I mean, this is what it was like being inside Facebook at that time. I'll give you an example. In the onboard, onboarding is a process that happens when you join a company. And in any cult-like company like Facebook, you know, this is on order with a rebirth. This is on order with getting baptized into some evangelical church, right? You have been born anew thanks to Jesus, right? And now you are a Facebook employee. And it really is taken that seriously. Believe it or not, at Facebook, people don't actually celebrate birthdays. They celebrate what's called faceiversary, which is the anniversary of the day that you joined Facebook. And I, I kid you not, you will get to your desk on your first, second, third faceiversary, and there, there'll be a, one of those big Mylar balloons like they have for little kids' birthdays with like a one or a two or a three or a four on it with like, you know, chocolates and flowers or whatever. Ew. So the day you joined Facebook is the day that you became really human, actually. And so and the, the initiation, the baptism of that process is what's called onboarding. And, you know, you would get the sort of pep rally victory speech from the various senior members of Facebook. And at the end was that little hint of a stick that you get in any cult or any dictatorship, right? And one of the things that they showed you, some engineer leaked to a journalist details of this new product. It's an email from Zuck, and the subject line says, please resign, right? And so Zuck didn't actually use email a lot. He usually used Facebook messaging. And so to get an email from Zuck was kind of this big deal, right? And if you see Zuck in your inbox with subject line, please resign, I mean, you basically start losing bowel control right there, right? <laughs> and so um, what it said in this email was, whoever you are, and we're going to find you, um, you know, just know that you've basically let down your fellows. They read this email at every onboarding to every employee joining so that they understand the realities of what it was like working there. But when you describe that scene in the book, nobody blinks an eyelash. <laughs> like, I kind of yeah. would think that if I were in that situation, I would definitely look at my neighbor and, like, roll my eyes. Like, but no. 
That's right. Everyone really did play it straight. They embraced Facebook's mission. At least publicly, no one ever rolled their eyes or expressed any cynicism about Facebook's mission or the values at all. It was, it was like patriotism in a Fourth of July parade every day at Facebook. As you so aptly demonstrated, the truth is actually far more insane, let's just say, yeah. than we even think it is. Like, what you say is actually right. beyond, like, you can't make this stuff up. Why do you think you're right. one of the only people taking advantage of what is obviously rich terrain for literature? Basically, the opportunity cost of writing this book is just too high. Like, why would you risk burning your bridges in the tech world, which is which can be very richly rewarding, and I can't complain. I was very well paid. Why risk that? for the sake of some outside truth, right? I mean, Silicon Valley, right, for all that it impacts all of our lives, if you're inside it, is actually very it's kind of myopic and narrow-minded in many ways. You don't see anything except that little world when you're in the middle of it. So the thought of sacrificing your career and your place in that world for some outside notion of truth to explain to the normies, you know, how Facebook really works, n- nobody would do that, right? I mean, to be honest, the only reason why I did it, I think, is because, and this gets a little personal, but I, you know, my mother was a librarian and I was raised in a library. And to me, documenting what I think is kind of a unique period in history, which is this moment in which all of human life is basically contained in a device in your pocket, a hundred years from now, people are going to ask, what was it like mm. when literally our brains were almost directly connected to the internet? And I don't think that's a motivation that speaks to the, to the attitudes and values of most people in Silicon Valley, to be honest. Okay, when we come back, more with the author of Chaos Monkeys, Antonio Garcia Martinez. Why he thinks racial profiling isn't bad when it comes to ads. What Zuck is going to do in the face of fake news. Plus, I try to save Antonio's ad-loving soul. That's coming up. Stick with Note to Self. We're back. It's Note to Self. I'm Anoush Zamarodi, and I'm talking to the author of my current favorite book, Chaos Monkeys. It's Antonio Garcia Martinez's inside scoop on how the tech scene, and Facebook in particular, really work. One of the issues I have with a lot of these platforms is that they hijack our attention. They play on our our weakest points as human beings. There seems to be something very morally corrupt about a lot of these business models, and a lot of them are based on advertising. But you built those systems. Th- that's right. Uh, I, I did. So I, I was completely complicit in the system. You know what I did at Facebook? You know how you go browse the internet or you even buy things in stores, and then you see products like that inside Facebook? So I built that. That's actually what I built. I was not just complicit. In my own small way, I led that effort. That's right. And uh, yeah, I think the reality is that capitalism, at least in its extreme forms that you find in Silicon Valley, is an inherently amoral enterprise, not to sound all Marxist for a moment, but it is. We never stopped to think whether this was moral or not. The only thing we stopped to think about is whether we could get it past, you know, privacy law and past the users and past the media sort of take on it. That's all we ever thought about. Have you heard? 
heard much about, um, we sort of, we partnered with ProPublica to sort of look into the ad targeting. I don't know how much of this you would have had your hands on, but this idea of ethnic affinity being one of the ways that advertisers oh, could target God. people. Yes, I know a lot about this. Yes. Uh-huh. And what, what do you, what, like? <laughs> so my, my first role at Facebook was the targeting product manager. So I, I led the first sort of organized effort in using data for targeting at Facebook. So I'm very familiar. I mean, probably 10% of my time was spent with the legal team discussing various do-gooder organizations like ProPublica <laughs> meddling in our stuff. So what? People who like Obama like Jay-Z. What's wrong with Jay-Z? The data shows that, in fact, it is highly correlated to like Obama and Jay-Z. Targeting that way actually works, right? What if I actually can tease out if someone is African-American or Hispanic? And what if you actually target that with an ad and they actually react or engage with it more than they would otherwise, right? In some sense, why are you philosophically against an ad working if the data shows that it does work? Oh, Antonio, right? no, because the problem is what if they don't get to see an ad for a great housing deal or they don't get shown job offers because they're Hispanic or they're African-American? Because cause the person doing the hiring is racist. Hmm. Yeah, but I guess the way that it would be perceived inside Facebook is that – okay, here's one way of looking at it. And then you've totally got my Facebook cap back on, by the way, because I feel like I'm back at Facebook as the targeting product manager defending what we're doing against outside assaults. Um, <laughs> God, it's incredible. They should be paying me. If you get a telemarketing call on your phone, you don't blame your carrier for it. You understand that they just run a messaging system and advertisers exploit it. So in Facebook ads, they look at themselves as a messaging system open to anyone who's willing to send you a message for money. And that if you really have an issue with that messaging, then you should take it up with the advertiser and not Facebook. I don't know. That's how they perceive it. People don't understand that on average, it actually costs them like 50 to 100 bucks a year per user to actually keep the Facebook machine going. And even if you actually convince them to pay for it, what would you charge? You know, the, the saying is, if any product is free, then you're the product, which is true. And so your attention is the product. But what is your attention worth? It's not a function of how much it costs to run Facebook, right? It's not a function of your perception of what your Facebook experience is like, which might be high, might be low. And you actually need a third party to actually come up with like, well, what is 45 minutes of Antonio Garcia's attention worth a day? Right. And the ad system exists not just as a message delivery mechanism, but as a price discovery mechanism. What is my attention worth? And that's why literally every time you load a page, not just on Facebook or any app, there's an auction being held instantly, billions of times a day, for exactly how much that one ad impression costs. And maybe I'm a you know a thousand dollars a year type user because I buy a lot of stuff online, whatever, and somebody else is only a ten dollar a year user. And by the way, me, the high end user, is actually subsidizing Facebook for that low end user, which by the way is how Facebook works. And if you had to sort of describe the rate of pride in what they're building and, and the idea of connecting the globe versus cold, hard cash. Pretty good mix, would you say? Certainly for people like Zuck and in his immediate circle for whom at this point money, they think about money about as often as we think about air, right? Like they don't even care at this point, right? Because they have so much of it. It's really not about the money. They actually do care about the mission. And if you think about it, that's actually kind of scarier, right? Because if they're actually zealots who actually believe that they're creating a more open and connected world, they're willing to do anything for their idealisms. Well, you know, the greedy person at the end of the day can be bought, right? Or acts rationally in some marketplace. But the idealist, the zealot, well, I mean, there's no telling what they'll do. People there actually do believe that they're changing the world. I'm curious to know, a couple weeks ago, Mark Zuckerberg came out with this five, 6,000-word manifesto. I don't know. How would you describe what he wrote, and what did you think about it? You know, I thought it was really interesting, and I would encourage your listeners to actually go read it. PR in general is just bloviation and kind of bullshit. I think Zucks is actually worth reading. Facebook, what it does is that it creates a feeling of community, 
in a world in which social fabric kind of doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. A lot of the traditional sources for meaning and purpose and belonging, things like neighborhoods, churches, extended family, that doesn't exist for a lot of people anymore. And the reality is that Facebook is kind of a simulacrum of that. It's admittedly a cheap electronic simulacrum. It's not necessarily real community, but that's the best that we've got. And I think Zuck's post goes to that in many ways. A lot of the traditional things that have sort of given us solace are no longer there. What he's positing is that Facebook be at least the sort of forum for that community building online now. If he and Facebook are creating the new community for creating society, what sort of responsibilities does he have then? I mean, then it's not just a business then. Right. No, that's an excellent question. This ties into another debate that I think is also timely about, you know, is Facebook a media company, right, around not to get all political, but is Zuck responsible for what we see in the creation of fake news and our social media bubbles, right? What responsibility does Facebook have for nurturing that or making it fair? Is he now the sheriff of our online towns? They're not all going to be nice little knitting groups in Portland, right? Some of them are going to be very violent hate groups. And, you know, what responsibility does Facebook have for shutting that down? I think Facebook doesn't want that responsibility. Mm. It's not just because they don't want to assume responsibility in general. It's just very, very difficult. Almost, what, a quarter of humanity is on Facebook? So Facebook is safeguarding a quarter of humanity's social life right now, right? (laughs) And how do you manage to do that at scale? I think it's very difficult. And so that's why they sort of shy away from it, saying, look, we're just the middleman. Facebook will only assume that responsibility when society puts its foot down and says, you know, you absolutely have to take this responsibility or through government, we're going to regulate you. After the election, I think you saw a change in tone with Zuck in terms of how responsible they are for the proliferation of fake news, for example. Are we at a point where we could actually see that the pressure is put on Facebook and all of these companies to face up to what I think is a moral responsibility? I'm sorry that you thought you were going to be a business, but you turned into more and therefore step up. Right, right. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg is now the front page editor to the world, right? Mm -hmm. He and the newsfeed algorithm indirectly decides what we read and listen. The thing is, he doesn't perceive himself to be that. Like every major newspaper has, you know, some form of what's called a public editor. Basically, it's the liaison between the readers and the sort of editorial staff of that newspaper to get sort of a feedback loop of like, look, I think you handled this poorly or whatever, right? That role doesn't really exist at Facebook at all. And I think you're right. They will have to do that, I think, going forward. And and not to, like, psychoanalyze you, Antonio, but from what you're telling me, you're actually deeply, deeply uncomfortable with this. You happen to be very good at the things that Silicon Valley pays for. It sounds like, I mean, you have a PhD in physics, you're an entrepreneur, you know how to build things, you know how to talk about products, but actually, you also describe yourself as the son of a librarian and that you believe truth to power and all of these things. It sounds to me like you sort of, I mean, at the risk of being too poetic, you sort of personify the dilemma that there is with these tech products. On the one hand, they're efficient and they work and they're amazing. On the other hand, oh my God, at times they are morally corrupt, reprehensible, and are ruining our society. You're at the nexus. Um, Inside every cynic beats the heart of a disappointed idealist. And so I think I'm, you're right, I do actually fluctuate between a certain idealism and a certain uh, hard cynicism, right? But that's... um, yeah, I mean, that's that's true. Yeah, <laughs> Antonio, what are you going to do next? You know, that's a good question. I you know I don't know. It's interesting when you commit professional suicide, right? I still got to ask. So what do I do this morning? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not going to get a job offer at Facebook again. I think that's for sure. <laughs> 
Man, am I so naive to think that Antonio would come around to seeing some of the insidious side of digital ad targeting? I guess so. The book is Chaos Monkeys. It kept me sane on a recent family vacation and confirmed my beliefs that the discussions you and I are having here every week on technology and humanity are really important. On a different note, you may have seen we put out the call in our newsletter, but I want to mention it here. Have you and a family member had a miscommunication because of your technology? Does your dad think LOL means lots of love? Would your mom assume you're headed for the produce aisle if you used the eggplant emoji? Or are you the awkward old one embarrassing your kids with your snap ignorance? We're doing a show about intergenerational tech confusion, and we want your story. Record a voice memo and email it to note to self at WNYC.org. You just might hear your confusion on this podcast. For now, the Note to Self team is Jen Poyant, Kat Aaron, Megan Cunane, and Joe Plord. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Manoush Samarodi. Thanks for listening. Come on, you have to do at least an hour of Facebook a day. It's like vitamins. It's good for you. What? How can you say that? <laughs> After all that you've written, I've just like I've Because spent- I'm still a total Facebook Nazi. That's the whole point. This is like Satan Paradise Lost, you know? He was actually the most fanatical angel of God who fell from heaven. <laughs>